Welcome to episode 185 of the Book Boogers, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. We are not together today, which is sad. I know, but it's kind of fun too. It's, um, you know, kind of like old days, old pandemic days. Well, who wants to go back to that? So this is much funner than that, to see you in a happy place up in Michigan visiting your daughter. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm up in Traverse City. It was Rachel's 32nd birthday, and we came to visit her, but also to deliver a little free library. For her birthday, we got her a little free library, and as I sit in this cool Airbnb, the gentleman caller is out in the sun. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> pouring cement and installing it right now. So maybe I'll just talk to Chris for hours so I don't have to go back and help. <laughs> You'll get to do the fun part later, the grand opening. Right, exactly. We did bring a box of books, and so maybe we'll post a picture of the completed Little Free Library whilst Jim is in the house <laughs> getting air conditioning. <laughs> Rachel and I will be out there filling it. Awesome. So we have some patrons to thank. Yes, we have two new patrons. Thank you, Mindy, for joining us and helping to support us. And also Susan. Susan, we'd like to thank you for pointing out to us the option to do the annual payment. This is not an option that's available when you first sign up um, for a a patron uh, creator account. I think you have to be on the platform for a little bit of time and have X amount of followers or something like that. So thank you, Susan, for bringing that to our attention. And that is now an option. You can sign up for an annual membership to support the Book Cougars. Yeah. And if you check out Book Cougars Patreon page, you can see that we have different tier levels depending on how much you want to sponsor us per month. And we have little Book Cougars swag that we send you as a thank you. And thank you to everyone who has been part of our patron community, because as Chris said, since we've gotten to a certain level, we can offer this annual subscription as well. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, everyone, so much. So Chris, what are you currently reading? Well, I'm lucky to be currently reading anything because the book I recently finished kind of destroyed me for a while. I started The New Town Librarian by Kathy Anderson This book came out in January 2023. And so the book I finished was Ulysses. That's no secret. But, you know, I just had such a hard time picking something up after that. And I thought I'd go for something fun. And The Newtown Librarian is about a queer middle-aged librarian who's kind of just been languishing in her career. She hasn't really pursued advancement or anything, but Every now and then she would, I guess, drink too much wine and apply for jobs. And one of them she applied for was to be the director of a small town library in southern New Jersey. And she gets the job. (laughs) She's kind of shocked. So here she is uprooting her life to go and now be the leader of a library. It's so different from the recent book I read about the new librarian in a new town from the 1940s. This one is set in very contemporary times. So instead of some teenagers being a little bit gnarly and maybe not listening and having to tell them several times or, you know, call the police, teens in this town come to the front door and scream obscenities (laughs) and then run away. So, you know, there's some of that real life awfulness that librarians do have to deal with. But then there's also a lot of fun things too, like bringing in books and making displays and all that good stuff. So I'm just about maybe 23% into that book. 
I did put it aside for vacation and whatnot. And then I also realized I was hankering for some nonfiction. So I picked up or I downloaded, I should say, the the sample of Robert Gottlieb's avid reader his memoir, because sadly, we mentioned him in the last episode, I watched the documentary about his and Robert Caro's working relationship. And he passed away later that day. So his avid reader was on my mind. And I downloaded the preview and was enjoying that immensely. And recently uh, got the full copy out of the library. And that's his memoir, right? Yeah, that's uh, Gottlieb's memoir. And it's fascinating. You know, I mean, because he was an editor while well, he was in publishing for such a long time. And he was such a voracious reader of all genres. As he says, he'd read any kind of nonfiction and nurse romances and, and everything. He just really read a lot. And I was surprised at one point early on, because he does talk a little bit about his childhood and his, his early education and his first marriage. Uh, and, you know, like rumor has it that he read War and Peace in a weekend. And he's like, yeah, well, he skims a lot. Or he used to skim a lot when he was first reading. He said, when I became an editor, I had to change that reading habit. Which brings me to mind, like, are you a voracious reader if you're skimming? No judgment there. That's just an honest question, really. So I'm enjoying that a lot because he's bringing in some names of people I've read about in some of the early 20th century bookstore research that I've done recently. And then just, you know, so many people that he edited. It's amazing how much he shaped 20th century literature. Yeah. And it makes me wonder too, and I don't know if he'll talk about this, like it did once he started to be such a renowned editor, did he do any pleasure reading? And if he did his pleasure reading, you know, was that where he kind of skimmed and ran through a stack of books on a weekend or something, you know? Yeah, that's a great question. And I wondered about that myself, if he did, because he mentions that he didn't like vacations, really, and he didn't like long weekends. He wanted to be working. And when he was at the office, he was doing, you know, kind of work work, that administrative stuff and meetings that you do. But it was in the evenings after dinner and on the weekends that he would read manuscripts. He did say that his skimming and his quickness in reading in that manner really helped him be able to quickly assess a manuscript that came in, whether or not it was something that he wanted to sit down and consider as something that they were going to publish or not. So interesting. Very cool. I haven't finished it. I'm about 40% in or so, but I highly recommend it if you're interested in literary history or editing. I mean, he doesn't go into the bells and whistles of editing at this point. I don't think he does. I think this is more about him being a reader, but that's Avid Reader by Robert Gottlieb. Well, I was looking for a book for the gentleman caller and I to listen to on this long drive from Connecticut to Michigan. And I put a hold on Killers of the Flower Moon, The Osage Murders and the Birth of the FBI by David Gran. And then when I drove up to Jim's house to get ready for us to leave, I saw a copy of it on his bookshelf. I forgot that we had gotten a copy at one of the book sales we were at this last year. And so I just grabbed it, and instead of listening to it, we just started reading it aloud on the drive. Such a pleasurable experience. I haven't done that in years. I used to read to the kids a lot out loud. And what's really nice about this book, too, is there's some really great photographs in it. 
So it is one that I feel like even if we were listening on audio, I would want to be also picking up a print copy of it to look at the photos. I just want to mention this has been out for a while now, and it is being made into a movie by Martin Scorsese that's due out in October of 2023. It's hard to read it now knowing that's going to happen and Leonardo DiCaprio is going to star and all of that. Anyway, nonfiction, it takes place back in the 20s, 1920s, when the Osage Indians, it was discovered that they had just an amazing, amazing supply of oil underneath the land, this rocky, nasty land that the government gave them. And during that time, they became the wealthiest citizens in the United States. So this book follows the story of Molly Burkhart and her family. Molly is one of four sisters and three of her sisters die. They die at different times. It's not all at the same time. Other Osage Indians begin to die mysterious deaths, some of them by gunshot, some of them are poisoned. And the story is incredibly upsetting, but also really interesting and compelling because it's a time where the FBI is just starting to form. And so there are local justice of the peace and a couple local doctors who are trying to solve the mystery of how these people have been murdered. They can figure out that they've been murdered, but they can't figure out who did it. We're at the part now where eventually they've brought in the first early FBI agents. Hoover was very determined to have look like men in suits and ties, but he realizes that that's not going to go over very well in this part of the country. So he brings in a few little outlying FBI agents that he calls the cowboys. So they're here to try to help solve the murder mysteries that are surrounding this area. Mm. It's fascinating. I have so many notes, which I left in the car. So when we finish it upon return, we have another 14 hour drive to get home (laughs) on episode 186. I will talk more about the details, but that's the basic premise of it. I mean, some of it is just really sad. Like the Indians were so wealthy, but the white folk that lived in the town decided that they couldn't handle their money. So their money was basically put under lock and key by guardians Mm. and they had to ask to spend their money. There were definitely some good white people. As a matter of fact, Molly Burkhart is married to a white man who loves her dearly and is devoted to her, at least as far as I've gotten in the book. (laughs) So I don't want to paint it as just, you know, all terrible white people, but there definitely were a lot of millionaires who were there trying to buy the rights to the oil and Mm -hmm. doing dirty deeds at the same time. Yeah. Wow. I have been wanting to read that one for, you know, because people praise that book and the story so highly. So I'm really thrilled that you're reading it and I get to kind of read it vicariously through you. Yeah, it was actually one of the ones I was going to consider for my big book summer read, but it wasn't 400 pages. (laughs) (laughs) But then Jim and I were discussing like, what would be a good book that we'd both like? And we both lit on this one. I have to say he, it's upsetting to both of us. He gets really, really worked up about it. So we're doing some reading and talking on the side, of course, which makes it a compelling read in a lot of ways. Yeah. So again, that's called Killers of the Flower Moon, The Osage Murders and the Birth of the FBI by David Gran. Nice. And I love doing that reading on a long car trip, reading aloud. Do you remember our first out-of-state biblio adventure together? You brought a book. 
<laughs> that we were going to read. We never got to it. We yeah. never did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe if we're on a 14-hour road trip together, that would happen. <laughs> I don't know. I think that one was eight hours round trip. No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, very cool. We always bring like, oh, let's listen to a little bit of this audiobook or something or this new podcast. And usually we don't get to it. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, what have you just read? So I got the first square on my Scarlet Summer bingo card. I read The Red Garden by Alice Hoffman. This is a book that she has talked about on her Instagram feed. Um, there is a real, I think I linked to her Instagram feed on the show notes last time. I'll do it again on this episode. Um, it's not, she's not calling it a prequel to the invisible hour, but it takes place in Blackwell, Mass, which is the same location as her new book that is going to be our third quarter read along. And it's 14 linked short stories. It takes place very near Lenox, Mass. So this is a fictional town, but it's a fictional town near Lenox, Mass. There's even a high top mountain, which I wonder if that's the mountain where we're going to go take a hike. Yeah, Monument Mountain. Yeah. Yeah, because this is Lenox. That's where Edith Wharton's beautiful summer home is. And Melville's home was just down the road and Hawthorne hung out there. So more to come on all of that goodness. I'm intrigued. Yes. So it's 14 links short stories. So it's in the same town, but it stretches from 1786 to 1986. So it spans a lot of time. (laughs) And so one of the stories is sin. That's the 11th story. And it's super rich with desire. So makes me wonder if that's the one that's the most influenced by by Alice Hoffman. Chris is showing me her copy of The Scarlet Letter. I'm sorry, oh. The Scarlet Letter, The Red Garden. <laughs> yeah, I have two copies. More about that later. <laughs> In Sin, there is a single woman who comes to town with her teenage daughter and she's seeking anonymity, but then it's 1961 and people are a little bit looser with sex and things get a little frisky. So that one reminded me a little bit of The Scarlet Letter. And Hoffman says that the Invisible Hour was inspired by the Scarlet Letter. I think the Red Garden was as well. In The Monster of Blackwell, that one has some violence, but it's juxtaposed against poetry, which Mm. is really interesting. So it's classic Alice Hoffman. There's lots of flowers and the natural world is very present in all of the stories. And then there are some characters from history that pop up like John Chapman, who otherwise known as Johnny Appleseed, comes through planting apple trees. <laughs> so that part was really fun. And then Emily Dickinson makes an appearance. So I really enjoyed it. This is a reread for me. And again, it's called The Red Garden by Alice Hoffman. Boom on my bingo card. Hoo-hoo. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to reading that one. I did finish Ulysses by James Joyce, which was my big book pick, at least my classic pick. I hope to read another big book this summer. But as I wrote in my very short review, it's everything everyone ever said it was. (laughs) And I know our friend Sue asked, is that good or bad? (laughs) And I just wrote yes. (laughs) Because it is, it's just like, it's brilliant at times. It feels like a waste of time at times. It feels like 
obviously, what's the point? But it's fascinating. I got really curious about it and have had some really great conversations with people about it, people who've read it, people who haven't read it. It's rare to find somebody who doesn't have an opinion or at least a facial response when you mention the book. <laughs> I also wonder if people read it for school versus chose to read it. You well, know, like, oh, you know, I've only heard from one friend so far who read it in a class, and it was a course dedicated to Ulysses. Because I think a teacher could be run out of town or tarred and feathered if they were to assign Ulysses during a regular course because it's so time consuming, especially if you're going to do it in a class, I would think the teacher would spend time on it. So, wow. Oh, if there are any listener out there who did read Ulysses as part of a class, let us know because I would be really interested to know how the teacher handled that because it's ginormous. It's a huge book, over 700 pages. Plus it's so complex in its execution, its structure, its different styles that Joyce used. I'm so happy to have read it. I feel like I understand so many more things now when people talk about Joyce because his other books, I've read uh, Dubliners and Portrait of an Artist as a Young Man, and they were not like this at all. They had their moments, but <laughs> nothing like Ulysses. It is definitely a unique piece of literature. I'm so glad I'm done. I really am. And you know what? I was just in Chicago for a week, and I finished it the day before I left. I was a couple days shy of my original goal, but like I really wanted to get it finished before I left because I didn't want to take it with me. And I also knew that if I didn't finish it, I probably wouldn't pick it up when I got back because I would have lost momentum. So I'm really glad to have done it that way. I haven't cracked it open yet. I just got back two days ago, but I plan on going through all my tabs that I put on it. And I did jot down some notes here and there I was joking that I'll probably go back and look at these tabs and think, why did I tab that? Who knows why? I don't even know if you'd, I mean, it's called a novel, but it doesn't really feel like a novel. I would just call it a piece of experimental literature. And it's not something people pick up for enjoyment unless they've read it several times and are really dedicated to it. So Ulysses by James Joyce. That's off to you. Yeah, I felt a good sense of accomplishment when I read that last page. It's kind of nice too, because you got it done right as on the cusp of summer starting, you know, days getting longer and now you can just start your summer reading in a different way if you want, which yeah, is nice. Absolutely. Yes. So good for you. <laughs> well, I finished a book called The Better Half, a novel by Allie Frank and Asha Yeomans. I just finished it this morning. I have not been getting much reading time and I started this before I left for the holidays. And it's about Nina, who's 43, and she's been named the first black female principal of a private school called Royal Hawkins. And the book starts where they're taking a, a woman's weekend, a spa weekend, because the school year starts the next week. And this is her first year as the principal, and she knows she's going to be working really hard. So they do this getaway, and she has a fling with a guy at the spa. <laughs> There's one scene where she's doing a walk of shame back to the hotel room in the morning, which I thought was funny. But he is a white lawyer and he's there working at the time and they meet and hook up and then they end up having a relationship for a reason that I'm not going to say because it would spoil things. <laughs> 
This is a Mindy Kaling book. Mindy Kaling, the actress and TV producer and writer extraordinaire, has started her own imprint. I think in the hard copy, I was reading the e-arc. There's an introduction by her. There was a little blurb that I read that she said she's just laugh out loud funny, which is true. And it's very contemporary. These authors, Ali Frank and Asha Yeomans, I believe this is their third novel together. One of them is a white Jewish woman and one of them is a black woman. And so I feel like they really tackle some serious issues with race and privilege, knowing what it's like to live in a black person's body and try to have a relationship with a white person and to face your own inner prejudice, I guess. You know, prejudice goes in all different directions. Yeah, like internalized homophobia if you're gay or internalized racism if you're a person of color. Is that what you mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think there's lots of different ways to say it, but just there are ways that we don't recognize that we're interacting in the world because of our own backgrounds. Mm. And I feel like they tackle this well here. Also, the idea of marriage and being a single mother and being a working woman. This character is a working woman. And I really appreciate that, as was her really good friend Marisol, both very strong female characters. And then Nina, both of her parents were immigrants. And so she was a black immigrant daughter brought in this country and her parents' education was everything for them. And so there's a mirror about that than being the principal of this school. And her father is a big character. So there's also a father-daughter component to the book that I really appreciated. We are going to be interviewing these two, the writing dynamic duo. And as I was reading it, I thought, oh, I cannot wait to ask them, just how do you do it? Writing a story together just seems really interesting. So The Better Half just published this week. It's out now. And again, that's by Allie Frank and Asha Yeomans. Right. And The Better Half will be our July patron giveaway for everyone who's part of our Patreon community. You have until July 15th to become a member. Fingers crossed. This episode is sponsored by... In Come With Me, widowed mother Gwen Manor falls under the sway of her new friend, Nicola Kimmel, whose friends have a history of disappearing. As their lives become more entwined and Nicola's grip tightens, Gwen begins to think that Nicola isn't just helping, but vying for control of every aspect of her life, and the consequences could be deadly. Come With Me by Aaron Flanagan... Publishes on August 22nd, 2023. Check the show notes for links. So Chris, did you go on any Biblio adventures? I did. You know, I was back, as I mentioned, in Chicago for a week for some family events. It was great to see family. I haven't seen some folks for quite a while. And of course, you know, we squeezed in some Biblio adventure time. The coolest thing was I got to meet up with our listener, Colleen, who has been with us since early days. We met at Women and Children First, which is one of those historic bookstores in a neighborhood called Andersonville in Chicago. It's been around, I think they opened in 1979, maybe. And this is their second location. I remember going to their first location back in the 80s, and that was further south, I think. But They've been in Andersonville now for quite a while, and it was really great to go and browse because they specialize in feminist books. They have a great LGBTQ section, a lot of wonderful literary fiction, and 
young adult and independent readers, picture books, they kind of have it all, but it's really well curated. And just around the time that I moved to Connecticut, which is almost 10 years ago now, the original owners sold the business to some employees. So it's just great to see it still going strong. So Colleen and I met there and had a good browse. And I told myself I could only buy one book that day. One, because I only had a teeny tiny suitcase with me. And two, because I have so many books at home that I want to get to. So I decided on one called In Praise of Good Bookstores by Jeff Deutsch. He is a bookseller in Chicago. He's also the director of Chicago's Seminary Co-op Bookstores, which are amazing bookstores. I haven't been to the co-op in a long time. And I think they've moved locations too. But this is his book about bookstores. So I'm looking forward to digging into that. And I figured this is a book I wouldn't come across as readily out of Chicago, possibly. And then Colleen and I went to lunch at a fabulous place called Lady Gregory, which is just across the street. And Lady Gregory was an Irish dramatist, patron of the arts, a folklorist. She was also very influential in the Irish theater movement in the early 20th century. So it was kind of fun to eat there because I had an Irish lit class and the professor's father knew Lady Gregory. So I heard about Lady Gregory all the time. <laughs> so it's kind of fun. Yeah. And then Laura and I, she was meeting a friend at another new bookstore in Andersonville, which is a new shop called The Understudy, which is a bookstore slash coffee shop that specializes in drama in plays. So Laura met one of her playwright friends there. And then we had a great walk around town and came across a wonderful little free library that is outside of Graham Cracker's comics of Andersonville on Clark uh, as well. Lady Gregory and Women and Children First are all on Clark. And their little free library had nothing but comics, graphic novels in it. It was really great. I took a photo, so of course we'll put it on social media eventually. Cool. Yeah. So that was in the city. We spent three days in the city and then uh, the rest of the time out in the burbs near my mom. And I went to Frugal Muse Books in Darien, which is my favorite used bookstore. I always find something that uh, is on my list there. And I found two copies of Alice Hoffman's The Red Garden, a hardcover and a paperback. And we'll be giving one of those away to a lucky winner who's interested. And then I also got both Emily and I copies of the Scarlet Letter Cliff's Notes. <laughs> right on. I mean, it was $1.99. How could I refuse? But Cliff's Notes, they're obviously not something to be read in place of a book, but they do help enhance one's understanding of a book and give you different ways of thinking about it. The only other stop that I made in Chicago that was bookish was I did hit a Barbara's bookstore at O'Hare, we got to the airport, you know, a little bit early as we do, but then we had a flight delay. And I picked up a copy of Time as a Mother by Ocean Vong. Nice. Yeah, I've wanted to read him for a long time, and they had this on their front table there. So, wow. I've only read the first poem so far several times, and I figured I'm just going to sit with one poem for a while, like if it really captures me. Loved it so much. May I read it to you? Please. All right. It's called The Bull. He stood alone in the backyard, so dark, the night purpled around him. I had no choice. 
I opened the door and stepped out, wind in the branches. He watched me with kerosene blue eyes. What do you want? I asked, forgetting I had no language. He kept breathing to stay alive. I was a boy, which meant I was a murderer of my childhood. And like all murderers, my God was stillness. My God, he was still there, like something prayed for by a man with no mouth. The green-blue lamp swirled in its socket. I didn't want him. I didn't want him to be beautiful, but needing beauty to be more than hurt, gentle enough to want. I reached for him. I reached, not the bull, but the depth. Not an answer, but an entrance to the shape of an animal like me. Mm. I mean, I, I read that poem and it just has really stuck with me. He is a gay man and, you know, some of the lines like no language, I, you know, it just um, that animal instinct that we have desire. It just really struck me, this poem. So I'm sitting with it for a while and I, I'm anxious to get on to the next poem, but I don't want to rush it. Yeah, his stuff is you have to really think. Yeah. So Time is a Mother by Ocean Vong. And that recaps my vacation. I say, tell the truth. Did it all fit in your suitcase or did you have to carry a shopping bag with books onto the plane? It all fit. Yeah. I was really proud of myself. I had my backpack as my carry-on, you know, my little like office backpack. It's not really big or anything. And I put my day purse in the suitcase. So it still all actually fit. Both of the books I got are on the small side. <laughs> so, yay me. I showed some discipline. Oh, and, you know, we ran into another little free library out in the Burbs that is in front of a dentist office. It's Smart Mouth Dental. Their little free library is so cute. It's in the shape of a tooth that has red glasses on it. And it's adorable. <laughs> and they had they have free bookmarks. So I grabbed one for you and one for me. And we'll have to put these on social media because it's just adorable. The glasses open and that's how you get in there to get the books. It looks very secure. It's a pretty new little free library. But just as I was opening it, like a torrential downpour and storm started. So I didn't get to do much. I didn't want the books to get wet. So I just grabbed bookmarks and took off. Nice. Yeah, it's so much fun to see little free libraries just... I mean, I love a basic one, but when they're also set to their location, it's really fun that way, too. And and I imagine that would just be such a treat for little kids who are, you know, kind of like big kids, often apprehensive about going to the dentist to see something cute like that with good books in it. Yeah, very friendly and welcoming. Well, I'm up in Traverse City, which for those of you who know Michigan as the hand or mitt state, if you hold up your left hand, I'm kind of way up above your pinky up in that area. We went up Leelanau Peninsula. Rachel really wanted to explore. She's never been there. And we hit a bookstore called Bay Books in Sutton's Bay, which is this sweet, beautiful town right on a bay in Lake Michigan. This bookstore was small, but really well curated and beautiful. They had some literary candles that I hadn't seen for a long time. I think we've seen those at maybe at Northshire one time or something like that. And then there was a bunch of books by this author named Viola Shipman. 
And I was thinking like, what's the draw? And then it said local author, you know, and they had every single one of her books, which were many. And it turns out Viola Shipman is a local author writing under a pen name. His name is Wade Rouse. Viola Shipman was the name of his grandmother who inspired his writing. And they seem like kind of um, not cozy mysteries, but cozy beach reads, I would say, from looking at them. So really pretty store, lots of his books slash her books there and others, a great new section. The town is one of those where there's historic buildings and newer buildings, and it was in more of a historic building. And then around the corner was the local Sutton Bay Library. So of course I had to peek in it. And it's very small, but right when you walk in, there's the reference librarian, which I think may be the only librarian there, kind of like the the every person librarian. She was sitting at this desk with these huge windows just overlooking this beautiful bay. And I said to her, oh. you have the most beautiful office. <laughs> and she said, I do. So super sweet library. If we were up here together, I would definitely demand that we go do a work day because the desks were all along these windows, just overlooking the bay. Sounds lovely. Yeah. Wow. And how lovely that he writes under his grandmother's name. What a great way to honor her. Sweet. So sweet. And um, we'll put his website in the show notes because he has a beautiful little blurb about her, his grandmother's history, and then some beautiful pictures of her as Mm -hmm. well. So I'll put that in the show notes. And then another day we went to Rachel's Farmer's Market in Interlock in Michigan. And we went to a used bookstore she'd been wanting to go to called Blue Vase Books. They had the cutest open and closed sign I've ever seen, which was a book hanging in the window that was open, you know, like an old novel open. And um, the page side said open and then the cover side said closed. So (laughs) So they flip it around. Vinyl records there, used books, lots of comics. And then they also had a computer where you could search their inventory, which I thought was pretty darn cool. That's really cool. Very unusual for a used bookstore to have that. Yeah, I think there was even a sign that said you can search our online store too. So I think they had plenty of books there and then some sort of online purchasing abilities. Super cool books. I didn't buy any. I was trying to be very controlled. (laughs) (laughs) There in downtown Traverse City, there's the cutest little free library outside of the movie theater. This is one of those old movie theaters with a beautiful sparkling marquee that they have going even if there's not showtime. So I'm going to try to get a picture of it tonight with the marquee glittering because the library looks exactly like the marquee. (sighs) That's so neat. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. (laughs) Well, what about non-vacation biblio adventures? I did get a chance before I left to go to RJ Julia in Madison. And I saw Gina Barreca in conversation with Helen Ellis about her essay collection called Kiss Me in the Coral Lounge, Confessions from a Happy Marriage. It was hilarious. Helen Ellis had written a novel early, early in her career that was a success and then quit her job to try to write and could not sell another book. Mm. She wrote a bunch of books, couldn't sell them. Eventually, she got a Twitter handle about being a stay-at-home wife. I think it was what I do all day (laughs) or what do you do all day or something like that. And she said she just started to write things 
this was in the early days of Twitter, to see what people thought was funny and what they retweeted. And then she started writing essay collections, humorous essay collections that have done very well Hmm. and finally was published again. And this is a new one that she wrote during the pandemic when she and her husband, they don't have children, they have cats in an apartment in Manhattan, were sheltering in place together. And he decided to get a prescription to Viagra, to Viagra, of Viagra. (laughs) And they very much enjoyed each other's company, as she says. So I didn't get a copy of the book. I intend to get a copy when I get home and read some of the essays. But the essay she did read aloud was about leaving a note for your pet sitter for your two cats. It was hilarious. If you are a cat person, you must get a copy of this book and read it because she goes on and on and on, you know, about the subtleties of taking care of one of the cats is very old. One is not so old. And it's on and on and on all of these things that the pet sitter needs to do to take care of these, you know, cats who have their quirks. And then at the very end, she says, we'll see you in two days. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Very funny. So funny. Totally relatable. <laughs> yes, exactly. And like, I think it's when you're leaving your animals or your children or your spouse, whatever, that you realize, you know, we have some quirks, all of us, mm-hmm. you know, in our homes. So again, it's called Kiss Me in the Coral Lounge Confessions from a Happy Marriage. Nice. <laughs> well, I attended um, an online. It's a writing class um, through Arvon, which is in the UK. It's a charity for writers, writers of all ages. They do in-person courses and online as well. Um, The one I did, it was called a masterclass, The Journey from Academic to General Readership, Bringing Hidden Histories to Life. So I was interested in that, you know, in terms of like doing more with some of the research I've done than just write academic papers And it was taught by a writer named Tanya Hirschman, who I had not heard of before, but I'm definitely going to check out her writing because I really enjoyed, it was a two-hour class, and I really enjoyed her her humor and her perspective on things. And I just wanted to give this Arvon a shout out. They've been going for 50 years, and they really just want to support people and their creativity. So check them out. I won't go into detail about the course because I know we're more about reading, but if you are interested in writing, it could be maybe an avenue for you to explore. Yeah, that's awesome. We'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, so upcoming jaunts. I have one with my buddy on July 12th. We're going to Concord Mass. Woohoo! I can't wait. I can't either. We're going to be going to all sorts of Nathaniel Hawthorne haunts. Is that the right way to say it? That sounds so haunted. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that would be kind of cool, wouldn't it? I just felt a shiver. Hmm. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you who don't know, we have kicked off our Scarlet Summer. Yeah, Scarlet Summer, starting with the Scarlet Letter is our first read-along. We have three books this summer that we'll be reading and also going on some biblio adventures. We have a bingo card. We actually created a new page on our website that you can visit to get the lowdown on dates and all that good stuff. But July 1st, which is the weekend coming up, it'll be passed by the time this airs, 
we're going to start reading The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. July 4th is Nathaniel Hawthorne's birthday. So you have Independence Day, you have Nathaniel Hawthorne's birthday to celebrate all of these things. July 4th, if you want to read with us, we would love to have you chat with us on Goodreads, social media, or on our Zoom conversation that we're going to have. Yes, which is July 12th. So we're going to Concord, Mass. We're going to do all these adventures. And then we're capping off the day at 430. We'll be at the Concord Public Library to have a Zoom conversation. You can attend with us in person or virtually via Zoom, whatever works for you. Oh, I'm so excited about that. Can't wait. Cannot wait. That's a really beautiful library too. We did peek in it last time we were there, but it's going to be really nice. We have a room reserved and we're going to get a little time to spend together there. Yeah, we should repost some of those pictures because I know we we took some photos. They have really neat busts of 19th century writers and they have an older section, a newer section. And it was quite busy the day that we were there. Yeah, it's one of those classic New England libraries with some older parts of the buildings with newer additions put on. So it'll be fun to be back there. So check the website. We'll put a link in the show notes. We haven't chosen our date for our movie watch along of The Scarlet Letter, but we will be adding dates um, for things like that as well. And if you're getting anywhere with your bingo card, your Scarlet Summer bingo card, which you can download from our website, Please let us know. We know some people are making some witchy substitutions to their cards. We welcome that. We're flexible here. Yes. <laughs> yes. We just wanted to make sure it was easy for people to get bingo. But if you want to make it harder for yourself by reading more, we're all about that. Yes. Feel free. And if you do any sort of Scarlet Summary Biblio adventures, we want to hear all about it. Please do tell. Totally. I might substitute one of the books to reread Hawthorne's The Blythdale Romance, which is one of my favorite novels of his. It's based on this utopian community that he joined for a little while in real life with Margaret Fuller and, and some other well-known people. And I just really enjoy that novel. I think it's very funny and creepy, and I've just really enjoyed that one. But I'll be reading The Scarlet Letter this weekend. And the cliff notes. And the cliff notes. <laughs> you know, I will read the novel first, I think, and just kind of... Cliff notes, though. Yeah. I think cliff notes are really nice. I would not read them in place of a book ever, but I do think it cuts to the chase. And for me, sometimes it's just nice because it reminds you of character names and mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah. I mean, if you're not familiar with cliff notes, I mean, they have... They're, so there are the ones that are the yellow and black striped. They look like construction zone <laughs> Uh, signs almost, but they give you the life of the author, character, a list of the characters, some character analysis, plot synopsis, things like that, and then some critical essays. So they are definitely useful. And there are other series out there that you can find online too to give you insight into The Scarlet Letter. I do have another event on the books at Bank Square Books, July 18th. That's a Tuesday evening at 6.30 Eastern Time. Lenore Skolmall is an author of a new book called Lighthouse Keeper's Daughter, The Remarkable True Story of American Heroine Ida Lewis. She, the author, is going to be in conversation with Nico Renau, 
I learned about Ida Lewis when I was doing that internship at the Coast Guard Academy. Ida Lewis's dates are 1842 to 1911. She started off as the daughter of a lighthouse keeper who became ill. She ran the lighthouse with her mom. And then when her mom died, she was officially assigned to be the lighthouse keeper. And she rescued many a sailor from the sea. By the time she was 12, that's when she made her first rescue from a rowboat. So she rode her younger siblings onto the shore from the lighthouse every day for school. So she had some great upper body strength and she was a very skilled swimmer. So she rescued people whose ships were capsized and things like that. The only woman at the time, I'm not sure if they still give the award, but it was like a national life-saving award. So I look forward to that conversation very much. I think it's, she just sounds like another kick-ass 19th century woman whose name should be household. Yeah. And you said that's at Bank Square? Yeah, Bank Square Books, and that's in Mystic, Connecticut, July 18th. So you'll get to see Alyssa's sweets, new murals there. Mm -hmm. That'll be so nice. Yeah. One of the good things about summer is that Bank Square Books has longer hours. They're open until like 8 p.m., which is late for New England, which still blows my mind (laughs) because most bookstores close at like five or six. But then you do have the tourist traffic and mystic. But I will just get there early and park at the library, maybe work at the library that day and, and then walk over. That's a great idea. That sounds like so much fun. Yeah, you're welcome to join me. I would love to. Yes. I am hoping to swing through Ann Arbor on my way back to Connecticut. They have several bookstores there, which I seemingly never get to. Partly it is my fault because I spend too much time eating when I go to Ann Arbor (laughs) because I love the food scene there. So maybe I'll try to, Uh, you know, well, maybe with the gentleman caller, he will want to, you know, like do a bookstore. He loves to do a bookstore. So maybe he'll pull me away from all the food places. (laughs) We'll see how it goes. I love Ann Arbor. I used to go up there a lot for business because Borders headquarters were there. That's where they got their start. So I used to love going there. And, And the first time I went up there, I stayed with my friend Deb who worked at the home office uh, borders and so I was walking around with Deb and Amy, her partner. And okay, and this is again, early 2000s when the rage was against big box bookstores coming in and closing the independent bookstores as the story goes. So we're walking around downtown Ann Arbor and I was amazed at the number of bookstores new bookstores, used bookstores. I was just like, wow, this is so incredible. They're walking along and smiling with me. And, you know, (laughs) finally, I think Amy turned to Deb and said, should we tell her? I was like, tell me what? Uh, And they're like, oh, I don't know. I'll go ahead and tell her. And they told me all of these bookshops are underwritten by borders to make it look good. And I was like, no way. And then, of course, they started laughing. It would they started la- It was a joke on me. But the thing is, like Ann Arbor at the time, like per capita, bought the most books, so they could support those amount of bookstores. And they did have a big Borders shop on one of the corners that was like a whole city block long. It was quite big. Anyway, it was just a funny story because for a moment, like I believe them. I was just like, "What?" You for a second, I know, <laughs> like what? I've never heard of that. <laughs> yeah, they have so many beautiful bookstores. I mean, I went to Michigan State. I don't know if listeners know that. So I spent a lot of years traveling I seventy five up from you know the Dayton Ohio area up to East Lansing 
driving through Ann Arbor, stopping to eat at Zingerman's, my favorite place, and never going to the bookstores. And then I lived there once I got married, not in Ann Arbor, but in Michigan, you know, never stopped in Ann Arbor to go to bookstores. So I really, really want to do it. Maybe this will be the time. We'll see. I'm on a bit of a timeline, but we'll try. Yeah. Good luck. I, I wish you the the best with uh, whatever bookstore or and restaurant you make it to. Oh, I'll make it to a restaurant. Don't worry about that. (laughs) (laughs) More to come. (laughs) Yes, I'll report back on episode 186. (laughs) So what about upcoming reads, Chris? Well, I have a couple. I mean, I feel like I'm surrounded by books that I want to read. Oh, my gosh. It's an avalanche situation on my desk. And it's it's beautiful. I I can't complain. I do want to start the Peabody Sisters. That is definitely on my list, but I think I might start with The Witches by Stacey Schiff first, because that will give me some historical background to what happened in Salem. Yeah. yeah. Great. Can't decide. I wish I had 10 brains and that they could all be reading a book at the same time. A different oh, I wish book, that I could, I could <laughs> skim like Gottlieb. I'm not a skimmer. Sometimes I wish I was a speed reader or skimmer, but I also wonder if it kind of takes the fun out of reading a little bit. I I, don't know. I would think so. I've had conversations with people about this because I love, I love the words, you know, and the sentences and the paragraphs and how somebody constructs a character to make them feel like they're alive. So I think it would for me take the fun out of it. Yeah. And I also feel like how much space do I have in my brain? You know, like, I'm not sure that I would really consume it in a way that it would be valuable. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. But but I definitely have the desire to be reading more than I am, you know, so I get the reason why you would try. Yeah, you know? right. I do too. I, I can understand it. Sure. Well, the only book I have on my upcomings is The Scarlet Letter by Nathaniel Hawthorne. I have it with me here and I'm hoping to start it on July 1st. Awesome. Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Weekend plans. Yes complete hopefully from my back porch (laughs) nice yeah well it's been lovely here in connecticut the last couple days since i've been back i've heard now in the midwest that the air quality is dicey there yeah we had a really bad smoky day yesterday but it's much nicer today which is why we're out in the yard installing this little free library good or someone's out in the yard (laughs) doing it Which I need to get back to. Yeah. So let's wrap it up so you can get pictures of him in action because that'll be fun to see. Yes. (laughs) From the window, from the air-conditioned living room. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank thank you to people who are good at doing hard labor. Yes. I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, everybody. Happy reading. Thanks for listening to The Book Cougars with Chris Wallach and Emily Fine. We'll be back again with another episode in two weeks. Until then, come chat with us on social media, Goodreads, or email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. If you'd like to help support our podcast, please tell others about us, leave a review wherever you listen, and consider becoming a patron. Even a dollar a month is a big help. Learn more about that on our website, bookcougars.com, where you'll find the show notes for this and all of our past episodes. Thanks, everybody. This episode was edited by Pat Keogh Sound Design.